Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. Well, it's no secret that virtual education exploded during the coronavirus pandemic. School districts such as West Ada and Boise opened online schools to accommodate uh, families. And established virtual charter schools also saw a boom. At the Idaho Virtual Academy in Meridian, enrollment grew from 1,700 students pre-pandemic to more than 3,800 students during the past school year. To get a sense of how that year has gone and what things look like for the future, I sat down with Kelly Edgington. She is the head of school at the Idaho Virtual Academy. Here's what she had to say. Well, Kelly, thank you for taking some time to, uh, to talk to us this week. Really wanted to talk to you about the past year in virtual learning, what next year looks like in virtual learning, but let's kind of go back to the start for you. I mean, you've been doing online education since before online education was cool. <laughs> how did you come upon it? Well, first of all, thanks so much, Kevin. It's great having you here today. Um, yes, I started in online education. It's been almost 20 years now. Amazing. Um, after I graduated from U of I, I, I did teach in a regular school district in Idaho Falls, School District 91, and then stepped away from my career for several years to raise my boys. Well, mm -hmm. to start to raise them. Sure. Um, I was ready to return. I was looking in the post register in Idaho Falls back when... The papers were cool as well, <laughs> and um, found an ad for uh, Idaho Virtual Academy, and I thought that sounded really interesting. So I interviewed. I was one of the first teachers hired there, and that's it's history, I guess. <laughs> so it had to help you a little bit going through the past 16 months to have been doing this before the pandemic. I mean, what did you build on as an educator when the pandemic hit? Um, well, when the pandemic hit, we were there. We, it was normal for us. So of course, you know, there were, the whole world was, everybody knows what it was like. But we were kept on business as normal. Teachers still held classes. Kids still had their curriculum. They had laptops. They, we were set and ready. I, I really felt very fortunate in that time, as did our families and staff. Um, many, many communications with parents who were just happy to be here. That was in that spring, mm -hmm. you know, when they just shut the schools down. So that was helpful. And I'm sure a lot of the questions were, were it was probably just confusion at that point, really, right? Um, I, the confusion wasn't in the school, though. We kept having class. Mm -hmm. We, I'm, I'm, you know, there were certain confusions just with regular life and... Right. Um, so we dealt with some of those things, too, and we started meeting. We couldn't meet together as staff face-to-face. -face. Uh, it was towards the end of the year, so sometimes we have meeting schedules, sometimes not. But um, just because of the, the world, I suppose, we started doing meetings online with staff just to get together and talk and things like that, too. So that was one of our first things to address that, and we continued those these, this year as well. So, and students, it was towards the end of the year. We had to cancel face-to-face -face events. Uh, we did we did a switch to virtual real quick on that and had a talent show at the end of the year as well. Right. Were there big surprises, though, for you? You know, last year, uh, as, as you saw more students and as you, you know, worked through the pandemic year, were there surprises along the way for you? The big surprises were, well, we did expect enrollment to go up. Um, as you would imagine. Sure. So in about, it was right about this time last year, I, I track enrollment very closely. 
it started, it was just drastically increased. And that continued for two or three months. So we had a surge of enrollment. And, I th and you know that. I've read stories and mm -hmm. in the news, too, and I lived it as well. But so we ended up uh, more than doubling our student population uh, from any year. From Usually we have, you know, around 2,000 or so, and we went up. <laughs> we doubled. We doubled our staff. It was really a whirlwind. It was pretty cool because we were able to... We retired, but we were hiring and you know interviewing all of the things there too, bringing on students, ordering materials, ordering computers, uh, making sure kids were in courses, and they were with minimal to no disruption able to start class when their start date came. And teachers were being trained. We have a nice training program. We had experienced teachers to mentor them. Not saying it wasn't crazy, but we did it, and we were able to sustain and go and continue to provide some normalcy even for the kids who were coming in brand new to school they they had some normalcy because they had consistent classes they had classes with their classmates we have live classes as well sure. as as online too and um, heard a lot of feedback from families on that as well and i'm sure and this is interesting because of all that hiring you had to do that I'm sure that there are some teachers who take more readily to this kind of a teaching environment, just like there are some students who take more readily to this kind of a learning environment, right? Correct. There's different learning styles. Um, I Some catch on faster than others, and um, some need more supports than others. And we do have a very experienced staff. Like I said, we have a training program. Uh, K-12 has also a training program that we even tapped into more with their teacher development uh, course. They came in and we offered, or they um, provided even more uh, focused training because it was after school had started. Usually we can start beforehand too. And um, so if some needed some more help, we provided more mentoring for them, uh, perhaps some more individualized professional development, like you would do with a student. Sure. Did the student demographic change very much. I mean, I know there, we've talked a lot and we've written a lot over the years about how the virtual charters, the student demographics are different. I mean, mm -hmm. there are more you know, students who are at risk and in transition in one way or another. Was it a different student demographic this past year? A little bit, I would say. Our, so we, while we enrolled a large number more of students with disabilities, for example, the percentage of students with disabilities went down more on par with the state percentage, and usually it's higher. And um, English learners, we enrolled a higher percentage of English learners than we ever have in the past. Mm -hmm. And that's continuing from what we're seeing coming forward. The students with disabilities is going back to where it was, um, higher percentages, and the English learners, at least now, it's early too, are remaining higher than they have been in the past. Um, the other demographics seem to stay pretty on with what they've been. English learners learning virtually, are there specific, are there, are there challenges for those students in a, in a virtual setting? Um, yes, and we were able to hire uh, an English learner compliance uh, trained person who's wonderful too, and a teacher first ever this year. And so we've, we're just starting our English learner program and able to provide some supplemental classes and curriculum for them. And so um, 
yeah, it's different, and we're we're learning as we go along, and um, we have a great compliance coordinator right now that is taking care of that for us. You talked about the funding, and we wrote a lot about the funding this past legislative session. Uh, the, with all the increase in enrollment and the increase in staffing, you know, really put a lot of funding pressure on, on you and, and you know, the other virtuals. How did you deal with that over the course of the year? Um, well, as you know, and as you wrote about, there was a pandemic funding issue with a, a state statute that I think, I don't know if anyone was aware of really. I think it caught everybody by surprise. <laughs> yes, and uh, our school and another were caught in that, and it was a long resolution uh, through that with the legislature, but it did get resolved, and so we didn't have any funding problem with that. It, it would have been, if it wouldn't have been resolved, yes, there would have been some difficulties, but we were able to receive the funding. So it was a little bit more of a cash flow issue than it was an actual problem in terms of services, student support. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah, nothing stopped for the students. There was a time when we thought, well, we might have to close off enrollment, but um, the legislature wrapped it up, so we were able to continue. What does it look like for next year? That's hard to tell. Um, we, for the en enrollment and just everything. <laughs> well, we don't know for sure, but right now, like I said, we're looking at um, enrollment, students with disabilities returning, like I had said, to similar percentages, English learners a little higher. Um, enrollment numbers, it'll be lower than it was last year but higher than pre-pandemic pre is what we're seeing right now. So a little bit of a drop-off maybe, but not back to the pre-pandemic yeah. levels. Yeah, and we had, we had good numbers before. Um, we're happy with whatever numbers. The, the puzzle is the staffing, especially with the, being a charter school. Um, you don't have that protection clause that the non-traditional or the non-charters have. You know, if they have an enrollment a certain year, the very next year, um, and they lose enrollment, there's a funding protection built into statute. Charter schools do not have that, so we have to forecast enrollment, and then we can staff accordingly. And then if we do like last year, uh, which no one would have expected in any school, then you hire as you're going, if, does that, if that makes sense. No, it does, and, and it makes sense then why you track enrollment so closely over the course of the year and over the course of the summer. I mean, it's really essential for you to have a, a finger on Absolutely. what's happening. So when do you normally know? In a normal, non-pandemic kind of a year, when does that picture start to become more clear? Is it uh, really close to the start of the year in, in it, August? It is. We well, we do have we have great forecasting. Although again, last year, <laughs> um, everything was out the, the window. The unforecastable and, last year. And even year. now, you don't know, right? There's the Delta variant, That's and true. I know all schools are watching that, and we are too. Um, uh, traditionally, when we know, our enrollment usually peaks right around the end of September, 1st of October. We enroll in different cohorts, and um, that's usually the time that we know. But we usually are staffed just fine by the time school starts in, in August, or this year we start September 7th. You talked about the Delta variant. Um, how, how do you think that might affect what happens between now and September 7th. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm asking you almost to predict something that's impossible. Uh, I know. It's like I blinked in last year and now I hear, am here this year too. And of course, it's always in the news. And you saw Wall Street was changing yesterday even in response to it. Um, I don't know, but I just 
I think we would be more ready this year because of our experience last year. Um, also with the staffing, we have the CARES Act funding like all, all of the public schools do, and we're using that to address learning loss. And some of that is um, hiring some uh, staff that we wouldn't have been able to hire uh, without those funds, so adding some more intervention teachers and things. So I think that we'll have a little bit more nimbleness there. Maybe we could transfer them over right into to there so we wouldn't have such a, uh, the, it was huge, the hiring and the time spent and training in that too. So I think we're sitting in a little better place. I hope it doesn't happen, though, for so many reasons, but right. I just have to say, I hope it does not happen. Right, I think, uh, I think it's catching does. us all a little bit by surprise that here we are this summer talking about, you know, what could be an unpredictable fall again. Right. So, I mean, you're in a situation like, you know, it's the essence of public education here. I mean, you take who, you know, who shows up. I mean, you, you open the doors to any student who shows up. Are there some students that just take better to this? Uh, you know, some traits, some personalities of, of students that, uh, you know, that lend themselves more successfully to, to an online setting? Um, well, we enroll a very wide variety of students, just like any school. Um, some take right to it. Some, oh, some can use some extra hand-holding, like we were talking about with, with teachers and that, too. But I, I think um, it, it depends on, they cho they're choosing to come, so they have a desire to come, and I think that can make a difference. I also think that at different times in different time periods, a student might just thrive a year and want to be here for a year and be in another school for the other year for some circumstance, right? Mm -hmm. It's They're coming to us for a reason. And so um, it, something is not, it, there's just some, like the pandemic was one too. But we get students here for all sorts of reasons. They might come here for one year or even a half of a year, or they might come here from kindergarten to uh, through graduation. And it's just hard to tell. I. One thing I could say for any school is the support of a caring adult, a parent usually, that is key for, mm -hmm. you know, any child anywhere too. And was that parental involvement component, was that different during the pandemic? I mean, was there a silver lining in the sense that, you know, parents and kids were home, they were spending more time together, mm -hmm. and as students were studying on the computer, at home, they did have their parents there, maybe more close. Uh, do that help at all? Um, right. I probably, I probably depends on the family too. Sure. I would suppose because I know there were parents home working at the same time their kids were in school. Um, we had actually staff that had that going on too, and then having to their children at an online school, right, or at their traditional school, but the online. So um, we understood that, and for all, for everybody, that the home dynamic was different for many, many people. Um, and we have school counselors and social worker and that too. So we did see some more uh, mental health type issues and, and tried to provide uh, support in that, in that way too. And we're expanding that for next year as well. And we're, I know that all schools have been impacted, not all schools, all of mm -hmm. <laughs> the world, right? That's something that we hear about a lot. Student support has become such a big story in all of education. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that it's uh, 
it's something you're dealing with right now too, that it's a challenge. And, absolutely, you know. absolutely. And that's one of the things, like I said, we, we are um, expanding our counseling down into having elementary, a counselor for elementary, and also um, uh, more opportunities for relationship building and one-on-one -on -one contact between students and their counselors especially in the high school with the graduation path and, and all of that too. So we're very aware of that. As I, like I said, all the schools I know are, it's been a huge conversation in the news and sure. in education. Do you feel like there's something that you guys learned here or that we're learning, you're learning in the online sector because of the pandemic, something that will stick, that, you know, you may not have tried before, but you had to try maybe out of necessity. I think there's a lot of things that happen, and not just us, but everyone. I think that one thing, and we were talking about this, um, our admin team got together last week for the first time in a year and a half face-to-face. -face. And we, I said, what was the best thing about last year? And we always like to be positive, right, too? And it was just an amazing conversation, too. Um, one of the things our... Uh, uh, counseling administrator said was she sees a more people understand more about virtual education so it opens conversations and that helps kids right if we're talking to another school and they understand more what it's like for that experience or reasons a student might want to do that uh, virtual education or did that for a certain time or or just more openness and I, I think it's more accepted and understood now I think um, it, this has benefit. Everyone's going to be ready or readier now mm -hmm. than they were because the world wasn't ready, obviously, for what happened. I, I think that's huge, and I we've been able to talk to other educators, and I know I was on a task force. I we spoke to legislators in groups. We spoke, you know, the Chamber of Commerce and that, um, trying to help, and not just our school, other online schools too. I think we feel a little bit more valued that people might understand more and some of the challenges of uh, online education in general. I, I just think it's a benefit all around for everyone. Probably more understanding in the education sector at large because mm -hmm. you think about how the Boise district and the West Ada mm -hmm. district, among others, you know, really had to build in an online component mm -hmm. within the traditional district. I mean, that's got to lead to some better understanding and maybe some shared successes and best practices. Absolutely, and you've probably heard that um, many districts are continuing their online programs right. and because some parents want those, they've found that, and so there's a more acceptance as well. That's good. Do you think down the road, does that change the narrative about virtual learning, about virtual charters in the state? Because there's been a lot of talk about the virtual charters and, you know, you know, sometimes that has been fairly critical. I mean, there have been questions about you know test scores and achievement gaps predating the pandemic. Do you think this changes the way online virtual education is perceived? I think it helps. I, I think I've already seen it help. Um, and I'll state something that probably most educators would say too. Standardized test scores and are not the end-all, be-all of everything. I know that's what it comes out in the statistics and all of that, mm -hmm. too. And I also just have to state for the record that our school and other virtual schools do have a wide range. We have many, many successes, so I want you to understand that. I'm, I'm sure you probably do. Sure. But um, kids earning college credits, 
we had 25 of our, we have an alternative school, um, state accredited also in our school, 25 of our alternative students graduated early this year, winter block more early, so I just have to put that out there too, but I I really do think so. Um, I think that the remote testing too is something everybody had to jump into and do, and I think that it moved that forward for, I know that we changed our practices greatly. We have small group proctored tests and we can do it remotely too. And I think that that there's, like I said, there's more understanding and more opportunity there. So not saying that we want to do that all the time, but it's an option, right? Something that can be accepted now. It's so unpredictable, but my last question is, where do you hope to be a year from now? I mean, you know, where do I hope to be? I hope that the families that come to us or are with us already continuing or come to us um, have had a wonderful year with our school and the students have achieved and our one of our goals is, our goal, that each student will grow at least a year academically. I hope that that is what we see. I hope they've had good experiences with um, some of our, we've greatly expanded our virtual socialization opportunities, our classes, are getting better all the time. We added a new uh, platform that we're using and already seeing great things with that, that they've had fun, they've gotten to know their classmates, and um, that we've been able to do some face-to-face as well for those who are ready to do that for um, those. And and they feel good and they feel like they've grown academically and had a good experience. Well, we may want to check back in a year and see how it all turned out. Kelly, I appreciate you making the time to to talk to us this week. Oh, thank you so much. It was really nice talking with you, Kevin. Again, that was Kelly Edgington. She is the head of school at the Idaho Virtual Academy in Meridian. That will wrap it up for the podcast this week. Over at IdahoEdNews.org, we have a lot of news that you'll want to catch up on from the week. Uh, I had a piece on Thursday looking at vaccinations and student vaccinations and how Public schools and higher education are trying to encourage students to get vaccinated before fall classes. You can find that story on our homepage. We also have full coverage of SAT scores, which were released uh, late last week. So we break down those numbers and talk to you about the trends. That story is also at idahoidnews.org. Watch for us next week. We will have full coverage on Thursday of Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan's education task force. Uh, They will look at indoctrination issues in higher education. We'll have full coverage on Thursday. Follow us on Twitter at IdahoEdNews for tweets and links to our latest stories. Uh, Follow us on Facebook and join the conversation there. And join me next week for another edition of the podcast. Until then, I'm Kevin Richard. Have a good weekend. 